Welcome back to Awakened Exchanges. I'm your host, Jay Rich, and you're listening to the third in my series, Deconstructing the Great Awakening Map. I'm grateful that the response to the solo episodes has been better than I expected. We will be getting back to the regular exchanges here soon. In fact, Nick Hinton himself will be joining us back here again for a special interview. We'll touch a little on the map there as well, but more on his new book, The Aquarian Singularity. You probably know this by now, but I'm truly grateful to be here speaking with you, and I hope you continue to enjoy as we take our deep dive on this strange and compelling Great Awakening map. You can always email me about other interesting topics and guests. You can use the contact form on our website, or contact me on Twitter at AwakenExchanges. I'll keep bringing you the content that you ask for, and I'm grateful that you keep asking. Now, I seem to be using the word grateful a lot lately, and I hope that you can bear with that. I'm using it in a mindfulness way, actually, to look at my life from a perspective of gratitude and trying to remind myself how lucky I am to be where I am today, as well as for the future that I get to be a part of. I truly am grateful that you're here to join me and to share an experience in some way, shape, or form. If you haven't already seen it, you can still find a copy of the high-res map in our show notes and on our website, awakenedexchanges.com. Remember, if you go search the online archives, you'll find a number of images out there, as the map was revised and updated a number of times since it was first released. The one on my website is the one that I'll be referencing throughout this entire series. And if you're checking out the Telegram channel or Twitter feed, you can see the highlights that I've made to the map and how I'm grouping these topics together. Most of today's episode will clearly be in conspiracy theory territory. That said, I do believe in the multiverse hypothesis, so who knows what grains of truth may emanate from these strange theories. I'll keep the intro brief again, but I want to mention that I am updating my pinned Twitter threads, uh, as well as the Telegram channel, to collect all of the visuals that I'm including with this series. The response was pretty quick these last couple of weeks, so I think... People are enjoying the the added visuals. The link to the Telegram channel is in the show notes as well as on the website. I hope you engage in the exchange there as well. Last little note before I get to the conspiracy theories, there's a new addition to the Awakened Exchanges podcast, and I'm not sure how much you'll hear her in the background on this episode, but any random noises you hear, it's likely to be Little Shadow. Shadow's about to be 11 weeks here soon and is just a bundle of love, so I'm not complaining at all. Now, here's a brief rundown of our sponsors. As always, I want to thank all of you personally for your support. Just listening and sharing this podcast with your friends gives me a reason to keep providing the best content possible. If you have the means and would like to contribute personally, please take a look at our Patreon page where you will get access to exclusive content and deals. There are already bonus videos available and more is on the way. As for our other sponsors, Awaken Vapes was the first of the Awaken brands and has been helping you modulate your high with CBD-only, high-terpene vape products since 2019. Genesis Farms has been making the highest quality medicinal RSO, among many other fantastic products, starting with the medical community back before 2010. And last but not least, the Caramel Corn Company, bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. And check out their Instagram. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us wherever else you're listening. And if you can leave a review or comment on Apple Podcasts, it really does help spread the word. 
You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. All right now, stay tuned and thank you for listening to Awakened Exchanges. Genesis Farms was founded on the belief in cannabis's ability to heal. Genesis Farms is more than a brand. They're a compassionate community of like-minded folks that generate top-quality cannabis products made with love and care. Community outreach is always on their mind, and their partnerships with Grow for Vets and Parents for Pot was just the beginning of what they hope to accomplish in the coming years. You can find their products on the best dispensary shelves across the state of Oregon. Their RSO is the most consistent quality in the state. Their tinctures are second to none, and their personal massage oil will have you and your partner coming back for more. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and ask for them in your local dispensary today. Don't forget to listen to Sean's interview right here on Awakened Exchanges. It's episode number three. The Caramel Corn Company is bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be, made with premium ingredients in small, handcrafted batches and completely gluten-free. Their flavors include original, roasted cashew, salted almond, mixed nut, spicy sriracha, white morsel macadamia, peanut butter, butterscotch, and my personal favorites, chocolate drizzle and raspberry caramel apple. I can't say enough about how delicious this caramel corn is. It makes a great gift any time of the year. You can find them for sale in Portland area market of choice locations and hopefully again online soon when they get stocked back up. Please visit www.caramelcorncompany.com for more information today. And remember, buying local supports small businesses and keeps your money building your community. Last but not least, Awaken Vapes has been bringing you some of the highest quality CBD vapes since ringing in the new year of 2019. I became passionate about cannabis after a car wreck left me with major migraines and no prescribed pills helped alleviate the symptoms. Having only tried cannabis a handful of times in high school and college, it was a doctor's recommendation that led me to give it another try. Only then did I realize that we'd all been at least a little misled about the health benefits of this amazing plant. Despite an unexpected break because of the vape ban and then a global health crisis with COVID, the business is stronger than ever, and we invite you to check out our updated website today. We are still offering our three varieties with new and improved terpene formulations for enhanced flavor to go along with the custom blended effect profiles. Check back at www.awakenedvapes.com for any updates, and you can always email us about wholesaling or white labeling opportunities. We're back again, and this is our third episode involving the Great Awakening Map. I want to thank you for joining me on this special edition of Awakened Exchanges as we take a deep dive into the latest section of the map. I'm calling this section the Solar System section of the map. It's the blue highlighted section that is above the Great Awakening and below the Great Solar Flash. 
It sprawls out a fair amount, but let's start, as always, towards the top left of the section with Saturn. You may be familiar with some of these topics from our previous Nick Hinton interview from episode 10, or from his threads or book on the Saturn time cube. That said, it's still a great place to start. So it seems as if a lot of this information, once again, is going to come from Corey Good and his Cosmic Disclosure run. The stories are entertaining, but hard to take completely at face value. As I said in part one, I think this could make a killer sci-fi series, but who knows. Suffice to say, there isn't much evidence to back up a lot of these claims, so keep that in mind as you decide what to research further for yourself. Apparently, Good says that travel to Saturn is off-limits for the secret space program, There are also other moons in the outer solar system, especially those around Saturn, which are completely off-limits to all secret space programs. He says that there are Super Federation Council facilities, tracing back thousands, if not millions of years into the past. The map claims that the ancient builder race is over a billion years old. Good also claims that Phobos, one of the moons orbiting Mars, is an artificial satellite. Good says that the ICC, that's the Interplanetary Corporate Conglomerate, if you remember from Episode 1, as well as other secret groups have been recovering technologies and artifacts from this once-inhabited sphere for some time. And to top it off, our moon, according to Good, is also an artificial sphere tethered to Earth using some kind of energetic anchor. Pretty far out. Now... Let's get into the Council of Saturn information, though. Um, this Council of Saturn seems to come from the Law of One channelings that I also briefly touched on in Episode 1 of this series. If you hadn't noticed yet, there are large chunks of the map and accompanying conspiracy theories that are consolidated from a very limited number of sources. Cosmic Disclosure and the Law of One series definitely fits that bill. In case you haven't listened to part one yet, in the book, The Law of One, Carlo Rukert is interviewed while in a trance state and channeling the entity that calls itself Ra. In it, Ra says that there is a council located in the octave, or eighth dimension, of Saturn. This council takes place in an area which we, quote, understand in third dimension terms as... The Rings. This next part is quoted from the channeling, so forgive the weird syntax, but here goes. The council that sits in constant session, though varying in its members by means of balancing, which takes place, what you would call irregularly, is nine. That is the session council. To back up this council, there are 24 entities which offer their services as requested. These entities faithfully watch over and have been called the Guardians. Real quick, these are the Guardians of the Cosmos mentioned in the last episode, as far as I can tell. But again, no Rocket or Groot sightings among this group. Sounds like they're more of a Captain Marvel or Nova Corps kind of situation anyway. I couldn't find much else on the Guardians in this kind of a reference, so maybe someone out there can enlighten me. There is more as to whether or not the Guardians might be the ancient builder race, but I guess maybe I just can't keep all of this stuff straight. Moving on, back to the channelings. 
I quote, The council operates by means of what you would call telepathic contact with the oneness or unity of the nine. The distortions blending harmoniously so that the law of one prevails with ease. When a need for thought is present, the council retains the distortion complex of this need, balancing it as described, and then recommends what it considers as the appropriate action. According to the map, the council meets in a time bubble sanctuary that acts like an ET meeting zone. Think of it like a bubble that stands outside of time in the multiverse where they best decide how to direct us towards that optimal timeline. For more information on the council, Ra actually suggests two names, Mark Probert and Henry Puharik. Now, the best source I could find on Mark Probert was the wearethemutants.com website, where they say, according to the brief autobiography published in his 1963 edition of The Magic Bag, Mark Probert was born in Bayonne, New Jersey in 1907. As a teenager, he joined the Merchant Marine, but after only two years at sea, he disembarked at San Diego and decided to stay. There, he worked briefly as a jockey and bellhop before moving into the vaudeville scene as a song and dance man. By the 30s, vaudeville was dying, so in 1939, he took a job as a graphic artist with the Visual Education Department of the San Diego Public School System. It was there that he met his wife, Irene. It goes on to say that, not long after they were married, Irene made a casual remark that would change the course of their lives. She told Mark that he often talked in his sleep. The odd thing was that when this happened, it sounded as if he were speaking in a foreign language. You'll have to forgive the purrs as I just had a visitor decide to crawl up on my shoulders and make herself at home, but I'm going to keep recording as we go, so... Soon the couple met Mead Lane, a former university professor who had left academia to devote his life to the study of psychic phenomena. As Probert put it, he had considerable interest and knowledge in the fields of metaphysical and occult laws. It was Lane who convinced Probert that his nocturnal mumblings could be evidence that he was, in fact, a trance medium. The idea that Probert was perhaps channeling entities from beyond was put to the test during an experimental seance. Recounting his experience years later, Probert recalled that after being instructed to relax, he soon found himself in a state of euphoria, so intense that he lost all awareness of the world around him. When he regained consciousness, he was told that he had been in a trance for some 45 minutes and had spoken in a voice not his own. The voice introduced itself as Martin Lattimore Lingford, a New York showman who had lived earlier in the century. Lingford explained that he and a group of other entities from the Inner Plains had spent years preparing Probert for his role as a channel. Soon, the voice promised these other controls would also come forward and make themselves known. As far as I can interpret, the beings he channeled from the inner planes must have somehow been related to the council, but I couldn't find a direct reference. Most of his channelings have been lost, including a legendary record with one of the first UFO references in it, apparently. That said, he was 
pretty well known in certain circles for a decade or so. Now, let's take a step back and look at some of the evidence against channeling real quick. There's a great blog on LiveScience.com by Benjamin Radford called Channeling and Spirit Guides, Voices from Within, Not Beyond. In it, he starts off by pointing out that, I quote, The practice of channeling, a person's body being taken over by a spirit for the purpose of communication, has been around for millennia. There are countless stories of shaman, witch doctors, prophets, and others who claim to hear voices or receive supernatural knowledge from the spirit world. Channelers, also sometimes known as psychic mediums, often use what are called spirit guides, friendly spirits who give them knowledge and help them on their spiritual journeys. Later on, Radford says that to achieve this expanded state of consciousness, channelers usually meditate, trying to break free of worldly influences and tune into a higher consciousness. They may imagine themselves seeking out specific spirits of the dead, or they may be contacted, apparently unbidden, by some unknown force that wishes to communicate. No matter how well-intentioned the channeled messages seem to be, Radford goes on to give all the rational things we have to consider, such as the fact that there seems to be no real evidence that the information is truly coming from an unseen spirit or some omniscient cosmic consciousness instead of the channeler themselves. Virtually all channeled information is subjective, mystical, and completely unverifiable, often including themes of universal love and messages from God, cosmic unity, and so on. Channeled information from different sources is often contradictory. A dozen different spirits, presumably dwelling in the same afterworld, give a dozen different accounts. If the spirits are truly imparting important cosmic wisdom and universal truths, you would expect different channelers in different places and times to say pretty much the same things. And while there are some instances of that, most of the studies have shown that channeled information changes with the times that they're in, and tends to reflect ideas that are popular in culture at the time. Because there's no way to verify the information and descriptions of different planes of existence, the nature of the soul, and so on, there's no way to know what, if any, of the channeled information is accurate. But clearly, much of it cannot be correct. I'd have to say that's a fair assessment, even if I would like to believe a few of these people at times. You have to remain skeptical at the least. Back to the council. The other name mentioned was Henry Puarik. Henry founded the Roundtable Foundation in a private research laboratory in Glen Cove, Maine. It was set up in 1948 to research the paranormal, and in December of 1952, Henry, as I'm going to continue referring to him as that last name is a pain to pronounce, and I probably did it wrong both times anyway. Moving on, in 1952, he brought into his laboratory an Indian mystic named Dr. D. G. Vinod, who began to channel the Nine, or the Nine Principles. He was in a group that met regularly to hear the Nine's channeled wisdom. One of Vinod's sessions produced this quote, We are Nine Principles and Forces, personalities, if you will, working in complete mutual implication. We are forces, and the nature of our work is to accentuate the positive, 
the evolutional and the teleological aspects of existence. We propose to work with you. We deeply appreciate your dedicatedness to the great cause of peace. Peace is a process and will be revealed only progressively. We have designed to utilize you and thus to fulfill you. And I'll now quote from the BahaiStudies.net, where it says, Never known for their modesty, the nine proclaim themselves to be God, stating that God is nobody else than we together, the nine principles of God. Eventually, Henry discovered the famous Yuri Geller, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, try looking him up on Wikipedia. His brief bio there states that he is an Israeli-British illusionist, magician, and television personality, and self-proclaimed psychic. He is known for his trademark television performances of spoon-bending and other illusions. Geller uses conjuring tricks to simulate the effects of psychokinesis and telepathy. Through Geller, good old Henry P. was told in 1971 that the Nine said Henry's life mission was to Use Geller's talents to alert the world to an imminent mass landing of spaceships that would bring representatives of the Nine. Eventually, Geller turned his back on the Nine, and by 1973, even though the Nine were still being channeled by a friend of his, Phyllis Schlemmer, he publicly didn't have much to do with them ever again. On a side note, Gene Roddenberry, the very well-known creator of Star Trek, heavily influenced by the channelings of the Nine. This whole topic is a very deep rabbit hole if you really want to take a dive on your own, but it's a little beyond the scope of this particular episode, even if it may be a fascination of mine. Anyway, speaking of Star Trek, let's get to the Super Federation. It sounds like a very Trekkie term, but in this context, according to the Disclosure Wiki, the Super Federation is made up of federations consisting of hundreds to thousands of planetary consciousnesses. It is a consortium of human-type extraterrestrials who manage the Grand Experiment. These genetic farmer races, or GFRs, go from star system to star system, propping up Grand Experiments to manage and even participate in. There are 22 genetic experiments all on a sliding scale from genetic to spiritual. Some are mostly genetic in nature, while some are mostly spiritual. One experiment involved the insertion of the God gene into mankind to make us more manageable. That part sounds relatively plausible, since it does seem to placate the masses. But uh, anyway, we're going to get more into this when I touch on the ancient builder race here in a few, as well as a lot of the spirituality part in the next episode of this series. There are a couple of different Death Star theories here that mostly involve moons of Saturn. If you look at Mimas, one of Saturn's moons, it has been called a Death Star by the map. Space.com has an interesting article I included in the show notes that explains the reality behind Mimas and its impact crater. The map also says that Saturn's rings were created as a Death Star resonance weapon. Sadly, the only reference I could find to that online was the map itself. Iapetus, on the other hand, which is the third largest natural satellite of Saturn, is also said to be an ancient Death Star. Now, 
I've included an express.co.uk article about Iapetus, and while it is true that scientists don't know how it was formed, it was the 2004 Cassini image. You can go ahead and check it out on this week's Twitter thread or Instagram post if you'd like to see it. How that really started the conspiracy theory is not just the noticeable similarity in the structure to the Death Star, including a similar crater pattern, but there also seems to be a weird seam almost that runs across the entire moon, almost as if it were two pieces of metal sealed together, or so the conspiracy theory goes. Now, let's not forget about our own podcast interviewee's first major foray into the conspiracy world, Saturn's hyperdimensional hexagon on its North Pole, which just so happens to be nicknamed the Rabbit Hole. If that's not creepy enough, go look up Eerie Sounds of Saturn on YouTube and give it a listen. I highly recommend you check out Nick's threads, our previous or upcoming interview, or better yet, his Saturn Time Cube book is worth every penny. Now, last bit on Saturn before we move on, let's talk about Norman Berggren. Norman, who died in 2016 at the age of 96, and is probably most known as the writer of Ringmakers of Saturn, was a former NASA engineer, and one of his claims was that Saturn's rings were made of materials that some race of aliens seem to use as fuel for their ships. Supposed pictures are available in my Twitter and Instagram feed, but I can't make them out, even if they are labeled. While the map makes me believe that this next theory comes from Mr. Berggren, the only thing I could find online actually attributes it to the one and only Corey Good. That theory, which I consider the most out there claim about Saturn, is that the B-ring has ruins on it from 70-plus-foot-tall giants. Please, Corey, talk to whomever is your CIA handler and get them to come out. June 25th is, you know, mandatory, right? They're supposed to anyway. Well, let's move on and take a brief look at Venus. It's the second planet from our sun, and good old Corey said that he visited Venus with the secret space program. While Venus is mostly considered a no-fly zone for the secret space program, when he was asked by David Wilcock if the bases have to be staffed by androids because of the intense heat, Corey responded, Yeah, well, we have bases that are floating in the clouds of Venus. Later, he states that he was taken to the surface where these holograms went few-few and the camouflage was turned off, revealing a giant H-shaped building on the surface, home to remnants of ancient builder technology. More on them soon. Inside the building, more camouflaged cloaked shielding would, quote, on and off. Eventually, they encountered one of these sentinels, beings that decide whether or not you may proceed further into the facilities and seem to be the fifth, sixth, or seventh destiny custodians of the ancient builder race that the map talks about. Anyway, it's easy to get confused, and I must say I am when it gets deeper into this secret space program conspiracy, which this is really just the tip of the iceberg. We have a whole secret space program episode coming up, so my brain may melt by then. Who knows? 
it does make me wonder if Corey Good really did have some minor piece of information at some point, but that he started tainting it with these fantastic tales because of attention. Anyway, while we're exploring our solar system, we need to at least talk about Ceres. According to the ever-amazing Wikipedia, please remember to donate to them when you can, Ceres is the smallest dwarf planet, the closest dwarf planet to the sun, and the largest object in the main asteroid belt that lies between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. It has a diameter of 940 kilometers, and Ceres is both the largest of the asteroids and the only dwarf planet inside Neptune's orbit. This next part is most definitely not according to Wikipedia, but it is claimed that Ceres is the home to a dark fleet underground base. According to the Disclosure Wiki, the Ceres colony is a network of cities and bases underneath Ceres that is controlled by the Germans. This network is interconnected by two rings of subterranean train systems. Inside the cities are rows of old, European-styled brick buildings bisected by a small road for police and emergency vehicles. There's even a red-light district in one of the cities. The Germans seem to live in mansions somewhere within Ceres, while slave labor, however, is widespread in the colony. As of 2001, its population was around 225,000, 40,000 of which were slaves. The living quarters of the slaves are prisons, basically, which hold 5,000 men each and resembles the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary, except that the cells do not close. The slaves are responsible for manual labor on series and aboard ships, and talk about dystopian. Before we wrap up this week on what's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, I did want to get to a bit more information about the ancient builder race and their leftover technology that seems to litter our galaxy. Anyone care to take a guess where pretty much all, if not all, of this information about the ancient builders is coming from? I bet you guessed it. The one, the only, the source of sources... Corey Good. Even after a website update from David Wilcock, there wasn't much clarification on who these builders are or where they came from. He says that their ruins are found throughout our solar system, from Venus to Saturn on through the Oort cloud. And in case you're curious, according to the ever-wonderful Wikipedia, the Oort cloud is named after the astronomer Jan Oort and is sometimes called the Upik Oort Cloud, Upik being O with an umlaut, P-I-K dash Oort, O-O-R-T. It's a hypothetical cloud of predominantly icy planetesimals, which is proposed to surround the sun at distances ranging from 2,000 to 200,000 AU, or astronomical units. As for the ancient ruins, they seem to be mostly made of a transparent aluminum alloy which looks like glass, but is the basis for a lot of their advanced technology. Despite their advanced nature, apparently they have also left some stone artifacts that are linked to that advanced technology. 
Their buildings and tech have been taken up by later ET groups, but those same groups have removed all information about them from their buildings. The buildings themselves are said to be impossible to date because, quote, they're hundreds of millions, if not billions, of years old. In Season 3 of Cosmic Disclosure, Corey said that an ancient race called the Guardians, which has long since left our frequency, was the same race which the secret space program calls the Ancient Builder Race. So does that mean that this information takes precedence over the Guardians information that I shared with you a few minutes ago? I'm not even sure if Corey or the creator of the map, 5D Consciousness, yes, that's his handle, can keep all of this information straight. As for leaving our frequency, that brings up thoughts of ascension, which also keeps with the fact that the ancient builders were supposed to be far more advanced, not just technologically, but also spiritually. Corey even said that he heard from Priestess Ka'ari of the Anshar of Inner Earth that the Guardians were extremely advanced and powerful, and that they protected this region of the galaxy, our local star cluster of 52 stars. I think that's a nice transition to get into the outer energetic barrier. Since we've been so heavily involved with speculative science fiction and conspiracy theory in this episode, I just thought I'd touch on something that at least has some interesting science I could share and tie into it. On the map, there's a quote that reads, 52 local star cluster protective barrier grid erected 500,000 years ago prevents unwanted ET races from leaving slash entering solar system, located past the Oort cloud. It goes on to suggest that the ancient builders built transparent aluminum structures across 52 local star systems. It sure seems to fit in with the Cosmic Disclosure episode. Now, didn't I say there was going to be some science behind this topic? I've actually included a science alert article in the show notes. It'll take you to an article from April 5th, 2018, with the very to-the-point title of There's a Detectable Human-Made Barrier Surrounding Earth. It's a fairly brief read about the man-made space barrier surrounding Earth and how it is affecting space weather. According to the article, in 2017, NASA probes confirmed that a certain type of communications called VLF, or Very Low Frequency Radio Communications, which have become far more common now than in the 60s, can actually influence how and where certain particles in space move about. It seems that we've actually created, or at least expanded, a VLF bubble that gives us a least a little extra protection from the Van Allen radiation belts. It's not like we should be worried about all of the damage that that same VLF communication is doing to the whales and their songs, though, right? I mean, it's not like Star Trek IV The Voyage Home taught us anything about whales and their relevance to human survival. I mean, who else is going to communicate with the ancient aliens when they come back and threaten to wipe us out? Maybe that was... One of the Guardians checking up on things. Okay, seriously, or at least a little more seriously, let's talk about Ra Tir Ear. 
Now, at first I thought this was the same raw being channeled by Carlo Rukert, and while technically that is the case, all of this information is yet again coming from Corey Good and Cosmic Disclosure. Apparently, Ra is just the family name or surname of Tear Ear, which I've seen spelled both T I E R and T E A R, and then a dash E I R. Tear Ear is an eight foot tall blue avian that first contacted Corey via his dreams in 2015. Yes, just six years ago. And coincidentally, the same year that Cosmic Disclosure began airing and Corey started to get a taste of notoriety and money. Anyway, the Blue Avians evolved on Venus about 2.5 billion years ago, where they ascended from 3rd to 4th density. They are now 6th density beings, but they can't raise themselves any higher until human beings on Earth ascend to 4th density as we are supposedly doing right now. Apparently, this is because the Blue Avians made a mistake by helping the Egyptian civilization build the pyramids. That knowledge was then stolen and used against humanity by the Illuminati. In 2015, the Blue Avians apparently let their secret space program contact a man known as Lieutenant Colonel Gonzalez know that they wanted Corey to be their liaison from then forward. The Alliance, on the other hand, wanted somebody else that they could actually control in that position. But don't worry, Corey got the job, and as the Blue Avians leave our frequency, they have introduced him to Ambassador Mika, M-I-C-C-A, in case you're going to search that, who is apparently from the Olmec civilization, who are now helping us on our transition to 4D. Which means that they're apparently not including time in their version, whereas the map says 5D. Eh, either way, in Corey's version, there is still a great solar flash, but it's expected in 2027 or 2028. I suppose that gives us a few extra years on that other timeline, and I suppose we'll all see. Where does that leave us? Once again, that leaves us deep down the rabbit hole. I hope you enjoyed it and will join us back here next week for one of two surprises that are forthcoming. I'm definitely excited for both of them as well as the next few episodes, and I hope you are too. I'll talk at you again here soon, but don't forget you can talk back on my Telegram channel or even at my Twitter feed. Take care, everyone. Thank you all again for listening to me ramble through another episode on this fascinating pop art artifact. I hope you enjoyed exploring this round as much as I did, and that you're looking forward to the next segment. I want to give a special thanks to all of our listeners. You are the reason I'm doing this. Please tell your friends about us, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or wherever else you're listening, and if you can... Please leave us a comment or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really will help us with visibility. You can also support us on Patreon 
or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. Thanks again and have a blessed day.